You're listening to the John Clark Cast, formerly the Private Practice Workshop Podcast. My name is John Clark. I'm a licensed therapist, group practice owner, and a guide for therapists in private practice. I help therapists fill the empty slots on their calendar and build a better business without all the overwhelm. I'm so glad that you are here today. Do me a quick favor and rate, review, and subscribe to this show wherever you are listening. All right, let's dive in. Welcome back to the show. How you guys doing? I'm glad you're here with me today. It's a bright, sunny day, uh, Sunday afternoon in Charlotte, North Carolina. Bright, sunny, and very, very hot. Extremely hot. I could say expletive hot, um, but it is. But uh, but that's that's what happens when you when you live in this part of the country and it's summertime. But you do get used to it, and your body adjusts. Um, your ability to to deal with heat and or cold does uh, does change over time depending on where you live. Um, so there's that for you. Uh, I'm back. So I'm back in the U.S. Um, from my trip uh, to Paris. So that was that was a wonderful time. Really neat place. I've shared a good bit about my experience there, including last week's solo episode. Talked about ten no uh, lessons no. <laughs> how Parisian street vendors could 10x their sales. You'd think that I actually created the content or would know the name of the episode if I created the content, which I did, but um, sometimes you just you just can't think. So um, anyway, I'm glad you guys are here with me today. Um, I've got some listener questions that are coming up, so we're going to answer those today. Uh, I'm just going to kind of warm up here for a few minutes and and check in before diving into those questions. So I don't really have anything on the agenda in terms of um, this first part, which is, as you all know, kind of the rambling part. So you either skip ahead or you hang in there because this is a fun part. Um, I used to not do this. You know, I, I've... I've I've kind of run the gamut from going very rigid, very structured, just like five tips for SEO, blah, 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 um, and then out. And then I've had some very loose, open-ended episodes and, and periods of the podcast that were very loose and open-ended for multiple episodes. And now we're coming back to the middle as it's taken me the better part of you know, a year or so podcasting, uh, running this show to figure out, to kind of find my voice, figure out what kind of podcast I want to create. And ultimately it's a podcast, I'm creating a podcast that I would want to listen to, you know, and I think about some of my, my favorite shows and I think about a couple of things. I don't like to feel rushed, um, as, as, uh, a listener. I don't feel like, I don't like to feel overwhelmed. And you know, that's one of my core philosophies in all this is not overwhelming you, not overwhelming uh, therapists. And um, I like silly times, you know, I really, I really do. I know that's shocking. I like shenanigans. I like silly times. I do like banter. In fact, some of my favorite podcasts and like a lot of the comedy podcasts I listen to are essentially an hour and a half of banter in in the form of a solo you know, uh, episode just, just, uh, it's just a comic talking 
about whatever, you know, kind of that free association. And I think they, uh, the com- as a comic, they come up with a lot of material while podcasting. There's just like, it's just brainstorming and thinking out loud and you turn on a microphone and a bunch of people listen. So I really like that. I feel like it's most personal and you really get to, to know the, the host. And uh, I think, you know, from a therapist perspective, you get to know the psychology of the host and, and the way that they think and the way they react and what's important to them. Uh, and you get to see their humanness. So I think that part is really cool as well. Um, so ultimately, you know, the, as things progress, and, and as the industry, the private practice industry grows and expands and there's more people on the scene than ever, um, you know, I always say the good news is there's more information than ever. There's more people than ever stepping out and saying, I, you know, I'm an expert in private practice. The bad news is you've got to sift through all of it, you know, but at the end of the day, I think you, you find what works. You can get a little something here. You can get a little something in every other podcast that's out there. Um, talking about private practice. And ultimately I think it's, it's a lot like choosing a therapist. You just choose because that's what you want, or this is, this kind of meets, meets you where you are for this period of your life and where you're at right now. So, um, yeah, speaking of sounding like a therapist, all of a sudden, (laughs) I usually, I usually am diligent about not using too many cliches and being like, really lean into this space. Um, just notice the space that you're in and notice what it would be like to be in a different space, but then come back to this space. And then they're like, and now it's time to leave this space. And the client's like, what? And they're like, no, no, it's, it's your time's up. I'm sorry. That was your 50 minutes. Um, that'll be $423. Uh, you know, so I try to avoid little things like that. There's just so many cliches that we have as therapists, it's, it's hard not to use a few every now and then, you know, and I get it, you know, maybe you use them on nights and weekends and, and, you know, maybe you, you, you indulge yourself, but you, you, you know, you got to figure that out for yourself. Um, here's a thought or here's a thread for you guys. And a lot of you all know me as this person who helps therapists as this person in, uh, who, who works in the private practice industry and serves therapists a lot. Most of you don't know who I am as a therapist. So maybe, um, maybe I'll lay that on you for a second and see if you like it or if you, um, really don't care either one. You only have two options. Either you really like it or you really don't care. And I need you to choose right now. Um, no, I'm kidding. So, I was, I was one of those strange kids who wanted to be a therapist very, from very early on. (laughs) I say one of those strange kids as if there's all, you know, lots and lots of kids saying they want to be a a psychotherapist and while their friends all want to be firefighters and police officers, you know? Um, but, but I was that kid, you know, my, my life was, um, and part of it was, I just, my life was transformed by my own counselor very early on. And, uh, that was certainly part of it. So that part is not unlike any other therapist story or many other therapist story is someone helped them. And they're like, this is a tight job. I'd like to do this. Now, the other, the other part of it is that, um, psychology was the first thing I was good at. I didn't do well in high school. 
Um, I actually did really, really poorly, struggled a lot, um, and, uh, graduated with a really, really low GPA, but, um, psychology in high school and, and with my high school psychology teacher, who was a real sweetheart, um, it was just the first thing I was good at. And, and, you know, it's strange to say that it's strange to say, Oh, you, how, you know, being good at psychology, but other kids were good at math or good at history. So I just happened to be good at psychology. I happened to really gravitate toward the concepts and ideas we were learning. I would grasp the the abstract very easily and later would learn that um, I have a knack for describing the abstract. And I think that plays a lot into what I do today in helping therapists uh, understand complex concepts in business and marketing and also helping them uh, clarify their message and describe what they do in plain language. So... Um, along the way, I continued just down this road. I decided this is what I wanted to do. I thought being a therapist would be the coolest job in the world. And I stayed pretty much on that path all the way through the end of graduate school, you know, through undergrad, through graduate school and getting licensed. I did, um, I did straight from the path somewhat, um, during college in that I, I, I went to college and I taught myself how to learn. I uh, did not learn well in high school and that was part of the problem. So I assumed it was me. I assumed I wasn't uh, a smart kid or a smart person. And in reality, I just didn't know uh, how to learn or how to teach myself. And my teachers didn't know either. So, um, you know, big limitations there in terms of what I think just what any teacher can offer a, a group of, of individual students with individual kind of needs. But um <clears throat> you know, things really picked up in college and I thought that going to the medical field might be the next step for me. Another fun fact, I became an EMT. Well, I think I talked about this in the episode with Beth. Yeah. So maybe you guys do know that now. Um, I became an EMT, um, and started working at a rescue squad on the ambulance running live calls, um, my freshman year of college. So that was transformative for me. Um, went on, you know, hundreds and hundreds of calls per year, so thousands of calls over the next four years and did that basically every waking moment that I wasn't studying psychology. And people would always ask, like, what are you doing here if you're not pre-med? It was like, well, there's a huge um, psychological component to everything we're doing here in handling these emergencies. And even for people having a physical or medical emergency, um, helping them regulate themselves and their nervous systems and be, uh, being able to help kind of ground people and, um, help control the situation was something I was very, very good at. So I realized that early on and I basically just used that knowledge and that experience as an EMT to influence what I would do in therapy. And even in some of the, the mental health, first mental health jobs I had doing crisis work, being on call, handling intense crises and stuff like that. So, um, you know, that, that was highly, highly influential for me as well. I'm going to check the time because part of me is like, I want to make sure people want to hear this. Um, so that was influential as well. Uh, fell in love with psychology, kept loving psychology all the way through school was, was a real nerd throughout college and learning psychology and studying really, really hard. And then um, in my graduate program, it was largely in interpersonal and psychodynamic. We were doing therapy with each other from within the first few weeks of school and for all three years of the three-year program and then one year of um, 
uh, residency or whatever. Um, and it was very, very intensive. It was very Yalom focus, Irvin Yalom focus. You all know, you, you might know I'm a big fan. Um, and trained, got to train with his son, Victor Yalom, out in San Francisco for a bit. And actually, another fun fact, um, uh, one of Irvin, Yal- Irvin Yalom's kind of protege and one of his best friends, uh, a licensed therapist in San Francisco, was my therapist as well for, for a long time. So another little kind of lineage part there. But I'll, I'll say that, okay, basically this, I got out of school. Um, I was doing college counseling in my last year of school as an intern. And I realized that even though my clients were learning something about themselves, they didn't necessarily get better. They kept coming back with the same symptoms. So I went down this whole other rabbit hole, not rabbit hole, but this is whole other chase of learning CBT, teaching myself CBT over the next couple of years. Sorry, getting some water. And uh, uh, trained at the Beck Institute for CBT twice, one with Judy Beck and the other with uh, Aaron Beck himself. And um, and then from there, I used those skills a lot, lot, lot in my practice in San Francisco. That's a lot of what people wanted. Ultimately, you know, where I'm at today, and I see maybe four or five clients a week, most of them are online nowadays, but I see some in my practice, uh, my group practice here in Charlotte. Where I'm at now is pretty trans-theoretical. You know, I would say that if someone were looking at what I'm doing in session and trying to figure me out, I think they'd have a hard time doing it. Because the reality is I'm just responding in the moment. I'm just uh, at the point now where I've been doing it long enough to synthesize everything I've learned in my own life experiences and really basically just be responding moment to moment. That's kind of my approach. It's definitely, it's definitely humanistic. It's definitely interpersonal, it's psychodynamic and it's cognitive. It's all those things, but I'm effectively seeing what's going on in the moment and listening, but also being that observer and then um, thinking, what does this person need right now in this moment? And then doing that, that's basically my approach you know, and, uh, being, being super, um, kind to people. I think that's a big part of what really heals and what, what works for me. So, um, I can be very, very active as well. And this is part of why I like coaching and coaching therapists. I can be incredibly active and tell therapists what I think or what they need to do, or I can kind of, um, be more direct sometimes. So I like that. Um, but ultimately, you know, I think it's about clicking people out of their normal routines, clicking, helping clients click out of that, whether it's old ways of thinking or relating or behaving or all three, that's what I'm trying to do. So basically I'm trying to create a different kind of experience for them in therapy, whether it's a corrective experience or just one that surprises them, takes them out of their typical state of being and way of being. And then try to take some of that and externalize it to the real world. That's effectively my approach. The dream is, you know, working with some of my long-term clients whom I've worked with for years. And since the beginning of my San Francisco practice, those are the people I still see online basically. And that's, that's some of the richest work you can do as a therapist. I feel like every therapist kind of dreams about having a caseload full of clients like that, where you really, really get to know them and a lot of life happens over the course of therapy. So I'm very, very, very fortunate to get to do that work. It takes me, it says 14 minutes. It takes me about 14 minutes to get warmed up every single time. 
And it really is like getting a car started. You know, it's like your brain just gets warmed up and I have to kind of get through the jitters and clear my throat 17 times, drink water, you know, kind of nervously. And then eventually I'm like, okay, ready to podcast. So what I probably could or should do is do 15 minutes of like this banter, you know, like talking to my dog, Lucia, and then dive in. But then you wouldn't get to see Here's a therapist cliche, the process, hashtag the process. Um, so this is a process of me getting warmed up, you know? So that's kind of who I am as a therapist, you know? And the reality is, um, yeah, I've always been a, a, a pretty gifted therapist. And I think that work really uh, comes through in the coaching work I do with therapists. So for me, coaching is just, it it became my new therapy. I, I was obsessed, obsessed with therapy for so, so long and still am still uh, such a big kind of nerd in the field. I've still got books and books and books to read that are always on my mind or on next up, you know, in my rotation, whatever, along with business and marketing and entrepreneurship. So <clears throat> I have these two kind of loves and I don't see them as unrelated whatsoever, you know? And when I think about marketing in private practice and as a therapist, I I think it's really the same as psychology and therapy. As a therapist, your job is to understand human behavior, figure out what motivates people to take action and help them take action. Guess what that is? That's marketing. You know, that's copywriting. That's, um, that's us describing what we do to therapists. That's us, um, you know, cleaning up a button on your website or a page on your website. That's really it. You know? So I think that's the cool part about what this, um, where I'm at now is I see, I still see myself as doing psychology work, you know, left and right. It's just in a slightly different context. And then of course, and then the coaching I do is, um, is I, you know, I intend for it to be pretty relational if the person kind of wants, can go there with me, so to speak, another euphemism, um, therapist cliche, but yeah, that's definitely a big part of my coaching approach as well as helping you get unstuck and helping figure out what motivates you and what, um, what inhibits you and then kind of removing some of those blocks. That's really a big part of my job as, as a coach and as a guide for therapists. So, um, those are my thoughts about that. All right, let's get into some questions, guys. Boom. Um, speaking of helping therapists, the, let's see here. You know what? I'm just going to check. I'm just going to check. I'll take two seconds. You guys can just hang out, take a sip of your own water. <laughs> you know, whatever you want to do. Okay, this is what I wanted to check. I have one more slot in the Business Made Human Mastermind Group Level 1. Um, let me make sure that's right. Da, da, da. Yep, I have one more, one more slot, Level 1. Um, if you're interested in joining the group I've talked about in the past few episodes, um, this is a small, tight-knit coaching group that's going to be meeting with me weekly, indefinitely, ongoing. It's Business Made Human. It's more affordable than ever. It's more frequent support. It's a community. Um, and right now, it's two, two groups um, that make up 
that, that, that make up the community. So the two groups that meet separately, but also we have ways of, of connecting. Um, and it is, uh, I haven't been this fired up about something in a long time. It's, I'm fired up to be creating this community and serving this community. I'm thinking day and night about how I can serve the people, the therapists who have signed up better. So I'm looking at the registration now. I've got one slot for the level one group. If you are interested, then um, let me know. Because I think, so this goes out, this is Monday. Uh, this episode airs tomorrow, which is Monday. I was, I'm imagining this slot will fill up tomorrow. <clears throat> And I've got a few people that have been thinking about grabbing this slot. So if you're thinking about it on the fence, um, I don't know when I'll open these groups again or create another group. Um, so if you've been thinking about working with me, if you've been thinking about reducing your isolation, feeling less alone in private practice and getting all the help you need to build a better business, have more impact in your life and or maybe get your life back uh, from your business, then this is this is an opportunity for you. So, uh, the forward slash work with me and fill out that application. And we'll get back to you literally today slash tomorrow. Um, so that the group can, um, so that we can get you into the group starts on Thursday and then we'll be rocking and rolling. So I can't wait. Uh, the forward slash work with me. All right, let me take another sip of water and let's get into these questions. All right. Um, let's see. Keep some of these anonymous because just because I don't know if they want me sharing. All right. Here's a question. This is an interesting one. Uh, I'm one of those new therapists who is just one of many smiling faces making up the website of a group practice. I'm not the boss, but I want to respect the guy who is. I'm wondering if you have any input um, on how therapists who are in the bullpen can market themselves while also marketing the practice as a whole. Awesome question. Okay, so this person is, I'm going to delete the name before I forget. Um, this person is uh, part of a group practice and he's, and, and they say, um, I want to, I'm not the boss, but I want to respect the guy who is. And I'm wondering how therapists um, in the bullpen, which is a really interesting image, can market themselves while also marketing the practice as a whole. Okay. Um, my, my, first of all, my kind of core philosophy about group practice ownership is generally that as group practice owner, one of your core responsibilities is to market the damn practice. One of my pet peeves is when group, group practice owners, they start a group, they hire a therapist and they go, cool, I hired you and I have an office for you. And now I need you to go out into the community and find your own clients and network with doctors and lawyers and this and that and go do workshops. Well, guess what? Don't be disappointed when they don't do any of this. And guess why? I'm so sassy right now. I'm sorry, but I, this really irritates me. Um, the, guess why, right? You, the, your clinician, even though they shined in their interview, they told you they were willing to do marketing stuff, willing to post on social media or blog for the website. If they were willing to do all that, they would start their own damn practice, you know, that's just the reality of it. The hardest part about running a practice is marketing. The hardest part. So when you are asking clinicians to share that hardest part with you, you, you're bringing them into one of the hardest parts of the business. And a lot of times it's a part that you probably don't even understand well enough to know what you need from your clinicians. So, um, 
man, that's what I would say first of all. Now, obviously there's caveats. Obviously there are clinicians who are truly um, motivated to do some of this stuff or want to learn the ropes maybe so they can start their own practice. And if you're cool with teaching them that, then teach them that. But but make it optional. And if you're going to make them do it, then pay for it, right? And, and just trust that no one's going to be invested in your business, as invested in your business as you. You've got to get that through your head as a group practice owner. So uh, going back to this question, um, if you're in the bullpen, then your, your group practice owner should be f- funneling you clients. And if you're not getting clients, he, he or she need to be brainstorming, racking their brain about how they can get you clients and making it very clear what they need from you as a clinician to help that process along, you know? So, um, now if let's say they are getting you clients and you want, so again, going back, this person says, I'm not the boss, but I want to respect the guy who is. And now Elliot, my beautiful, beloved Siberian is climbing the desk and getting under the podcast. Mike, oh my gosh. He was napping at the beginning of this episode and then he just decides to roll up. He's like, oh, the John Clark cast. Mm, let me get up here. Let me get up in here. Damn it, Elliot. Um, so this person says, I'm not the boss, but I want to respect the guy who is. I'm wondering if you have any input. So there's something there. If you don't respect the guy, why don't you respect him? Right? Is he not managing the business well? Why, why'd you join the business if you don't respect the guy? I think you need to respect the person who's running this practice, who is your employer. If you don't, I think you need, either need to talk about it with that person or get out. You know, that's, that's just kind of what I think about that. All right, Elliot's just going to do his thing. So you're going to hear some noise. He's just going to get up here and it's just his show today. Now he's biting my computer, which is tight. Cool. Cool episode. Um, if, if you are going to require clinicians to do stuff, or if this person is, is wondering, how can I stand out? Um, in this group practice and helping market the group practice, you got to have a conversation, you know, um, if it's digital, you might think about contributing to the website, doing content for the website, maybe creating new pages, maybe new pages you could run ads to Google ads to, or maybe Facebook ads or something like that. I think you just need to be vocal. You need to ask how you can help market yourself within the practice. If you're not happy with where you are, and then you have to look at your own retention as well and make sure that, um, that you are actually, you know, retaining people and, and doing a good job with, uh, with that part. So if they are giving you clients that you are keeping them essentially. So, um, I think, again, I think it's tricky, but again, my, the, my answer is effectively, it falls on the responsibility of the group practice owner. If they're not doing it, you need to have a conversation with them. If it's a problem, you need to have a conversation about them even more, even more. So if you want to do marketing stuff, great, do it. At the same time, if you're, if you're keen on doing the marketing stuff to promote yourself, the reality is um, you, you might be able to do pretty well in private practice on your own. So I think you have to have a look, have a look at that conversation as well. Just look at what am I getting um, by being a clinician in this group practice, especially if I'm ambitious enough to go out there and promote myself and kind of stand on my own two feet. So um, I hope that helps. It's an interesting question. I'd love to come back to it at some point when I can think a bit more about it. Again, I'm just encountering these questions for the, for the first time. All right, next one. I will say this person's name. My, my friend, Joanne Royer, she says, 
and she submitted this question in our Facebook group. Um, if you want to join the Facebook group, go to facebook.com forward slash. I will tell you forward slash FB group for Facebook FB group, the John forward slash FB group. Um, join, join the group there and you can ask your questions for the show or you can follow us on Instagram at the John Clark, the underscore John underscore underscore Clark. All right. Joanne is asking, I get lost in my day to day in my to do list and I'm ultimately unproductive. What are the three things I should routinely do every day? All right. I'm going to break this question down a little bit. Um, are there three things you should do every single day? I'm not sure. Um, and, and some people would say things like, oh, write your progress notes. Um, make sure to charge your clients or bill your clients or bill insurance or whatever. Yeah, obviously there's that kind of stuff. But this question I think is more about what can I do to advance my business every day? If there's some tasks I could do, um, three things I should do every day to advance my business in a meaningful way. Um, this is what I would do. Step one is you you should look at your plan or your visioning document, whatever you've done. I've talked a lot about um, the four quadrants before. This is something that Kelly Higdon shared with me and I use it for myself, but basically it's four quadrants where you sketch out where do you want to be in five years? That's in the top left and the bottom in the top right is one year. Bottom left is next one to three months. Bottom right is this week. This is not only your visioning um, tool, but also a productivity tool. So you can teach yourself what the next most important task of your business is. What is mission critical for you to do this week? So I'd say that's one thing you could do every day um, is look at your four quadrants and make sure that what you're doing fits into where you're going. Okay. Um, the second thing you should do every single day is look at your KPIs. If you don't have KPIs, you need to, you need to get them now. I'm not going to go in depth into it because I've already talked about this. There's an episode called the life changing magic of KPIs, key performance indicators that's on this show a ways back. So go dig it up, listen to it. It's a short one, but it's a good one. And it's a very popular episode on this show. You need to develop your KPIs. These are effectively your vital signs of your business that indicate the health of your business in a quick view. So it's things like your web traffic, the number of clients you've seen or your clinicians have seen, the number of inquiries from the past week, from the past month, et cetera, uh, the number of conversions out of those inquiries, et cetera. It's not your P&L, it's not your numbers, it's not your bank account, it's not how much money you have in your bank account or whatever, or what your fee is or how much you made last week. I don't, I don't care about that stuff because if you have good KPIs, then you will know that everything on the financial side is locked in. Of course, you should check it as well. You should be, in, you should be very intimate with your finances, uh, the finances of your business and your personal life. But um, if your KPIs are good, um, then you're gonna know um, with some depth, the true health of your business. And you'll also be able to, um, to diagnose problems in your business and in your marketing like that. I just snapped and hit the mic. That was <laughs> not as cool as I wanted it to be like that. Hopefully that sounded cool. Third thing. Okay. Uh, I'm winging this, but the third thing 
would be to just take a step back from your business. You know, I would say that's the thing to do or to step back and, th- and just truly think about your business um, and give it some, give it some room, give it some space, you know? Um, so I'd say that's probably the third most important thing, but I don't think there's another important thing that every therapist should do every day besides the first two that I just listed. So I think the third really is to be reflective and to step back and go, um, is to kind of 80, 20, everything go, what's my 20% that's yielding 80% of my results. What do I need to let go of what's working and how can I double down on that? You know, and just do some journaling, sit down and do some journaling and think about, um, you know, think about how your efforts are yielding or not yielding uh, fruit, you know, in your business, in your life. So that'd be, that'd be the third one for me. It's not by God, do not, do not make it. I check my email every day. That's the thing, first thing I do. Um, in fact, I'd love for you to experiment checking your email less. I've done an episode on that. But checking email less, checking social media, checking Facebook less uh, is certainly going to get you in the right direction. So, uh, Joanne, I hope that that was helpful. Thanks for your question. All right, let's check the time. 32 minutes. Um, Kristen, Alexis is asking on, from Facebook, how do I find out which marketing strategies give the best ROI? All right, so my my answer is going to be pretty consistent with with what I usually say in here is I'm mostly focused with getting in front of people who are looking for therapy right now. So the ROI is pretty clear, right? If I've spent X amount of dollars either on SEO um, and, and having great ranking on Google and or certain amount of dollars on something like Google AdWords, that which are, those two are essentially my bread and butter um, for my practice. I would say the third is having a great website with great um, imagery and copy and a strong logo. Um, those make it pretty clear to, to measure ROI. Now, it's a little hard to measure ROI on other things like your printed materials. And we talked about that in another episode. If you're going to do stuff like that, then having like a code, like a discount code, or a, um, you give them a free water bottle if they mention this, you know, this flyer or whatever, then, then I think you should do stuff like that. You know, you got to think about how you're going to measure ROI before you do something or just do it if you know it's going to get you in front of people, you can do it knowing that you're just doing it for brand recognition, brand awareness, not necessarily lead generation. But again, I've talked about this a lot lately, but just knowing the difference between the two, knowing the difference between lead generation and brand recognition and knowing why you're doing what you're doing. That's my answer. All right. My other friend, Jan, is asking, how do I trim down the content on my website? She says, TMI it's hard to know what goes and what stays. Okay. My suggestion here, um, is going to be effectively, um, start from scratch. That's basically what I think you should do. If you think you have too much on your website, you probably do. So what I would do is look at what you have right now, Take some notes on what you like, what you know is solid there, and take those ideas, open up a blank document, or write it in a notebook, whatever. Whatever's going to facilitate writing uh, a good writing process for you. And see if you could write a new homepage for yourself. See if you could write another bio for yourself. 
based on what you know now. Because the problem is we get we we just get kind of complacent and we stay married to our old, you know, content ideas or old bio or whatever. Because we don't want to change it. We're afraid to change it. We're afraid of making it worse. And so we don't do anything. We just keep adding, 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 adding. I'd rather you be taking stuff away than adding and creating confusion for your potential clients. All right. Um, So with your copy, and I have helped so many, I've helped a lot of therapists with their copy at this point. I've looked at probably a couple thousand therapist websites and read their copy over the last few years of doing this work. And I've helped a lot of therapists transform their copy, clarify their message, slim it down, right, is usually what we do. We usually start from scratch because that's what we need to do to just kind of have a blank slate. I'd rather you err on the side of brevity with your website as a whole. That's a copywriting uh, tip for you, a real, a real concrete copywriting tip for you. The reason being is that <clears throat> the purpose of your website is generally one thing, to get people to get in touch. If you give them too much, you overwhelm them, you try to answer all questions with your website, and then you lose people, and they forget why they even came. Or they're so deep into the huge page that you have that they don't know where to click. It's another problem. So if you notice, and if you look at something like my own website, thejohnclark.com website, my my copy is very, very brief, right? It's one paragraph, essentially, in terms of the actual copy of, of the homepage. It's one paragraph and then a call to action, and that call to action repeats. Again, the reason is, I'm just trying to get you to do one or two things, Right? So whether it's download this free guide or apply to work with me, so crystal clear, right? So for you, you should be thinking along the lines of brevity and what is the singular action, uh, the main action I want people to take, right? So what's my, what's the primary call to action and what's the secondary call to action? The primary is usually something like get started now. Secondary might be, you know, download the free guide or whatever for the people that are not ready to get started now. So that's what I would say is trim it down, see how it looks. Your website should, and especially your homepage should, should read and play like a, like a good pop song, right? A pop song always leaves them wanting more and your website is no different. Leave them wanting more so that you can get them on the phone and do what you're best at, which is forming relationships with people. Um, that's it guys. Don't make it more complicated than it has to be. Speak, speak directly to the client, speak about the client, um, keep it about them, use third grade language, no greater than third grade language, and make it abundantly clear where you want them to click next. And you will see higher conversions in your website. You will see more people picking up the phone. I guarantee it. If not, let me know. I, but I guarantee it, right? I've done this over and over and over again with therapists. So you got to think about, is my website really working for me? Am I afraid to make changes? What's getting in the way of me making changes? Do I need help writing this copy? Um, Because a lot of times that's what we need. So these episodes are always like a crescendo, you know, like start kind of playfully and not really talking about anything. And by the end, I'm like shouting and sweating again, which you can't see, thankfully, but shouting and sweating and getting animated and Um, But the reason, you know, the reason is because I care, guys. I really do. This is, this is my work. This is my full-time job now. I'm always thinking of um, what are therapists struggling with and how can I help them? 
How can I help reduce their, their struggles and help them be better business owners? You know, that's it. Like, I want you guys to know this stuff. I want you to get it. I want you to crush it. And I want to help you do that. So I'm, I'm, I mean it. Um, and I, and I do care about this stuff and I get fired up about it. So, cause I think, I think we're out here doing important work. You're out there doing important work. And if people can't find the help that the good help that they need in you, that's a real loss. That's an ethical and philosophical problem that, that I aim to help solve. And that's really part of what drives my work with therapists. So, um, all right guys, I think that's probably enough. <clears throat> if you haven't done so already, if you haven't reached out, like I said, there's one single slot left in the business made human level one group. Um, if you're even remotely interested in that, go to thejohnclark.com forward slash work with me and fill out that application. We'll get back to you right away. That group launches Thursday. That slot's going to be full probably while you're listening to this episode, people have probably already applied since the beginning of um, people listening to this episode. They, if they're smart, they hit pause, filled it out. And I might already be on the phone with them at this point. So thejohnclark.com forward slash work with me. Uh, I'd love to hear from you and get you in that last spot in the group. Um, Otherwise do me a big favor and um, leave a review for this show, wherever you're listening, probably iTunes, and then subscribe to this show on iTunes. That does, that's a big, big favor for, for me and helping advance the show and tell a friend about it. Simple as that. Tell a therapist friend, send this show, send the link of this show to a couple friends and, um, and, uh, and help us spread the word. So I appreciate you guys so much. Uh, thanks again for being here. I hope you have a great week. Stay tuned for an episode on Wednesday where I'm talking, uh, with um, Jake Kramer from artillerymedia.com who did my new amazing website uh, about how good design solves problems. It's going to be a really fun one. I had a great time with Jake and it's, it's a really engaging uh, episode. So, all right, guys, thanks for being here. See you soon. Cheers. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the John Clark cast. I'm your host, John Clark, licensed therapist, brand builder, marketing consultant, and guide for therapists. I help therapists build a better business without all the overwhelm. Do us a big favor and rate, review, and subscribe to our show on iTunes. Hope you have a great week. See you next time.